Welcome, everyone, to an emergency edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. This is Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson. Today, I'll be joined by Jonathan Galt and a special guest. This is an emergency podcast, folks. We've been talking about the Nike Vaporflies for months. I've been saying something has got to be done about this. On, on this week's regular podcast, I said I will finally write the editorial saying that they should go back and validate the Olympic 2016 marathon results. I did publish that. I did follow actually follow through on a promise, which is rare of me. But Friday, it's Friday morning, about noon actually now on the East Coast, still in the morning on the West Coast. World Athletics has issued a ruling. The Nike Vaporflies are allowed to be to stay, but the Alpha Flies are banned. And moving forward, there's going to be a 40 millimeter stack height um, limit. And uh, perhaps also equally as importantly, no prototype shoes will be allowed to be used in competition after April 30th, 2020, unless they the only shoes that can be used in elite competition have to have been on the market for four months. John, did I get the basics of that ruling right, do you think? Yeah, those are the big ones, I think. Um, and yeah, it's an interesting day for the sport. I think we sort of had room, rumors earlier this week that that was what was going to be expected. And the one thing sort of was the timing of this whole issue, because obviously you've got two really big marathons uh, from a let's run perspective, the Olympic marathon trials on February 29th in Atlanta, and then the two Olympic marathons in Sapporo, August 2nd, August 9th. And those, you know, th this whole timing, it's going to be interesting because prototypes are actually allowed during the Olympic marathon trials, but they're not going to be allowed during the Olympic marathons themselves, which means shoe brands like Saucony or Brooks that are scrambling to catch up to Nike, they need to get those answers out on the open market uh, by April 30th is their deadline. So Robert, it's been we've been talking for about two minutes. I think you need to introduce our special guest before we can continue further in our conversation. Yes, instead of me mouthing off about it, I have an expert in the field. We, we, we say that we have fast guests, and we had, again, another fast guest. This is a NCAA champion, an Olympian, and a exercise physiologist. She's a PhD candidate in exercise physiology right now at the University of British Columbia. She's published three papers with fellow researchers Rogers Cram and Walter Hukamer about the Nike Vaporflies, none other than Shalila Kipp, um, formerly of the University of Colorado, John always gets mad at me for not pronouncing things right. Shalala. You got that perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks Welcome. for having me on this emergency edition. <laughs> I guess the most obvious question is, I assume you've read the, the, the ruling by now. How do you feel about it? I have. I think like any runner nerd, you know, we're all waiting to wake up this morning and see what they put out. Um, I think we're not that uh, surprised that stack height was going to be limited. Uh, they also threw in that one you know, plate could be in there. I think that was a little interesting. Um, I, I guess the thing I was most uh, excited to see was that no prototypes can be used in uh, subsequent uh, competitions after Olympic trials and that that product needs to be on the market for at least four months. Um, that really, that made me happy to see this morning. Um, the other ones, you know, we'll see what that really does. But uh, yeah, putting that four months on there, I like that a lot. Well, I think it's interesting because we've seen not just Nike, but all brands have had a lot of athletes running in prototypes for, no, I mean, it's been sort of heightened the last couple of years, the focus on it, but I feel like this has been happening in the marathon probably for decades and people just didn't really pay that much attention to it until now because 
all the times have been dropping. But like Des Linden, she won Boston in a pair of prototypes, you know? Yeah, we, we point the finger at Nike, but really everyone's running in prototypes. We got to remember that. Yeah, but I, I think the whole aim by World Athletics here, Ross Tucker had a tweet that basically summarized, he had a series of tweets that kind of summarized it perfectly, was they, they've essentially, they're trying to level the playing field. They're stepping in here and, you know, outlawing the super shoe, the alpha fly and some of that stuff. But really it's up to the other brands to catch up and Nike has sort of set the the bar, and now there is a space to in, there's a limit to innovate within. You know, forty millimeters, only one carbon fiber plate, that sort of thing. And now it's up to the other brands to, without infringing on Nike's patents, catch up to this technology. Which I mean, do you think that's that's feasible? Do you know if these other shoes are close to what Nike's at right now? You know, I think it's definitely feasible. Um, I don't think that's that hard for them to get around. Uh, I think as long as they start developing their own foams, uh, getting a carbon fiber plate in there, um, it, we're, we're going to see it happen, right? It's it's going to take a little catch up, but you know, within a year or two, I think this is kind of all going to become a wash again, and the the playing field's going to become level. Yeah, that's that's the hope. It'll just sort of be elevated a couple thousand feet ahead of where it was in the past. And maybe I'm an optimist. I want that for the sport. <laughs> I think we all do. Like, no one wants to have the Olympic marathon team determined by who has the best shoes you know you want to be the best runner well you said in a year or two but we got another olympics in you know what five or six months so uh, the thing that's interesting to me about the ruling is i mean looking back at 2016 i mean you've been at the forefront of the science behind this and i was talking to jeff burns yesterday who also has done you know been involved in this and he's like look it's a scientific consensus there's no doubt these shoes work so anyone who's debating that is just has their head in the sand but four years ago, Nike's shoes were secretly released. And only a, what, four or five people had them. They sweep the men's medals in the, in, in, at the Olympic marathon. But now with the way these rules are coming out, if you don't have your catch-up shoe out, if you're Saucony or Hoka or whoever it is, by April 30th, you can't wear those. So in the short term, couldn't they sort of be solidifying Nike yet another advantage in 2020? Or do you think that some of these brands, what do you think these brands will do to play catch up? Might they let them wear the Nike shoe and maybe change the upper to make it look like their own brand or something like that? You know, I really hope that those shoe companies are doing their own internal tests and they know how well their shoe is performing. And if their shoe is not up to standards, they need to let their athletes run in the the Nike uh, Vaporfly right now um, if they want their athletes to be performing well. Um, or they're going to be at a disadvantage. We know that that shoe is uh, working well and it's co- it's creating all the results. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the, that's the conundrum for all these non-Nike athletes. And talking to Jared Ward and Des Linden at, in New York last fall, they both seem pretty confident in the shoes that their companies, Saucony for Ward and Brooks for Linden, were putting out there. And I think Des was essentially saying, look, we've got similar technology. And that Wyatt had an article, I think, yesterday, yeah, yesterday. came out describing the Hyperion Elite, which is the shoe that they'll be releasing. And that's coming out on February 27th, so it'll be legal for the Olympics. And one of the points there they had was they have developed their own foam. Like you said, Shalea, that's sort of one of the things to catch up on. And I I would expect that Des or any other Brooks athlete who's racing in those shoes at the trials, they'll probably feel confident enough in those to use them and and think that they're on a close-to-level playing field. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. It's tricky. Well, Robert, I was going to say Saucony, though, they have to act, I think, because they are coming out with this Endorphin Pro, which is the model that Jared Ward's been trying out. And that's slated for a June 1st release, which would mean it's not eligible 
for the Olympics. Yeah, they need to bump that up. Yeah, that's what I think. I think they have to basically say, hey, we're going to release this on April 30th. And I don't know, maybe there's a creative way they can do it. Because one of the things that isn't clear is like, it, these shoes need to be available for purchase. But like, how widely? If you release 100 pairs online and say the first 100 people to buy them, it's allowed, you know, is that okay? Or like, oh, we're going to release them on April 30th, but they're not going to ship till June 1st. Like, I feel like there's a way they can sort of work around that to make it work, but you've got to bump it up so officially they're out in time for Ward to use them at the Olympics if he qualifies. I definitely agree. There's some loopholes in that writing. Yeah. So, so, so Leo, let's go back to the, the first study that, that you guys did. The interesting thing to me, I think it came out in November of 2017, showing that, you know, the, the advantage of the, this was the prototype, right? This actually, the study you, you did, which is interesting, people saying, you know, like, oh, they didn't study the shoes used in Rio. No, what you did study was the shoes used in Rio. Is that correct? Yeah, it was the shoes they used in Rio, and it was the same shoe uh, that they used for the Olympic trials. So we okay. got this really ugly prototype, right? It's not the Nike 4% at the time, right? That 4% comes from our findings. All they said was they sent us this, the shoe they thought was special. And so actually that whole time we were calling it the magic because we didn't have a name for it. And really whenever we put you know someone in the shoe in the lab, it just seemed like a magical result that was coming out. So when they, the, the weird thing about this to me is Nike actually funded this study. So they like are the ones that sort of exposed themselves. And yeah, when it was proposed to you guys, did they say, hey, we think this shoe is a 4%? I mean, did they know how big of an impact it was? That's what I, I'm kind of wondering is, you know, how was it proposed to you guys? I'm trying to remember. Actually, I believe they only thought it was a 3% savings at the time um, because we were referring to it as a 3% project, I think. And it, it clearly was, you know, a, a mean of 4%. We were seeing people save anywhere from 2 to 6% um, and then that mean becoming a 4%. What are the differences between that model, I guess, the magic, and then the 4% that was released, you know, the following year? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I actually believe that the prototype we got was built in a different factory than the real Vaporfly, um, you know, ended up coming from. So it, it, it kind of was a bit different. Uh, we were really excited to see when some um, independent researchers took the Nike Vaporfly and were able to get 4%. Um, Ian Hunter at BYU did that, and uh, Kyle Barnes at Grand Rapids also showed that. So when were you guys doing this study? I mean, I know the paper came out in the end of 2017, but you were doing yeah, this. We were doing that in 2016 because I remember knowing when we watched the Olympic trials that we knew this, this shoe was about a 4% savings. And, and knowing that these athletes running in the prototype had an advantage over the other runners. Um, I was training with Kara Goucher at the time, and she had just signed with Skechers. And I, I kind of remember thinking, if that hadn't happened and she had stayed with Nike, she would be making you know a third Olympic team. But she's running for the wrong company right now. Yeah, she's sort of been one of the most, alongside Robert, I would say, has been one of the most vocal critics of what was allowed to happen in 2016 with the Nike athletes wearing the unreleased prototypes. And I think that that's one of the good things about this rule is you're not going to see someone getting the jump on someone and just totally surprising us with technology no one has ever seen before. You know, yeah, that, that did not happen to an athlete, no. Yeah. So... Julia, do you think something should be done about the 2016, particularly the Olympic marathon? I mean, do you think there should be, you know, I mean, the Houston Astros have been exposed as for cheating, but they got to keep the World Series titles. I've argued that perhaps you invalidate the results. Some people act like I'm crazy. What do you think about that? I mean, you can't go back and change a team, right? That's past it. 
but I am interested to see how this will be implemented. So like, what do you do in like future Olympic trials? Do you have those athletes, you know, cross the finish line and you have that, you know, um, that doping control agent come and say, you know, you're going to stay with me until I get your sample and I'm taking your shoes right now and I'm getting the calibers out and I'm going to run them through an x-ray and I'm going to see how many plates are in it. So I, I can't really look back, but I am interested to see, will we do some concrete things in the future to uh, control for mechanical doping? Yeah. That's, I can just imagine like athletes, they finish a marathon and someone's wrestling the shoes off of their feet. And then they, you know, someone gets mad, like, they, you know, they're walking around barefoot everywhere and they're in socks and someone, you know, steps on a nail or something. I don't know. It just <laughs> could be a ridiculous pass there, but it's going to be good for you. So it'll be a lucrative business because there won't be that many people qualified to test the shoes and you'll be at the top of the list. Um, you know, I guess, you know, going back is probably, I mean, because, you know, I, I do think that if you gave, if you told L.A. Kipchoge at the morning, the start line, hey, you can't wear these shoes, wear these other shoes, and everybody else had to wear those shoes, he probably would have won that race. So it would have been a shame. But I, I, just to me, it's just, I, I don't want that happening again. So I guess we're not going to have it happening again moving forward, which is a good thing. Um, you, we talked about the other companies playing catch up. Have you in your lab tested any of these other shoes? You know, you said you hope that the companies are doing it, but have you personally done that to see if they're getting close? I have not done that, um, but I know other researchers are, are doing that currently. So I think results are coming our way soon. Yeah, I think that's the inter- The other interesting thing is Nike sponsors by far the most marathoners in the sport. And so we have a lot of data of sort of them winning all these marathons and also sort of how you, know, you can compare to past times, that sort of thing. It's going to take a longer time to build up that database with the other shoe brands and like the New York times study they did with the vapor flies. That was because a lot of people are buying these shoes and we're probably not going to have the endorphins or the Hyperion elites selling to the same degree. So it might take a lot longer for that data to come in, whether, you know, they're actually that effective. I guess that's where someone like you comes in where we give you the shoes and just say, Hey, this is the efficiency gains. So one thing that's interesting to me about the shoes and your studies is you guys have shown that sort of the benefit you get depends on on sort of how fast you're running and that actually the biggest benefit and you might get a four percent efficiency gain for an elite or three to four percent but someone like Eli Kipchoge you can only see about a two-thirds of that result in speed so if you get a three percent efficiency gain they're going to get about a two percent increase in speed for the marathon but for a a slower behind the pack runner it might be as much as five percent in terms of speed so it kind of varies by the people and I think uh, rear foot strikers get more of a benefit than mid to mid to mid foot foot strikers stuff like that. So I think we need to be careful there because wh- what we know for sure is the shoe has been tested. I believe at 12, 14, 16, and eighteen kilometers per hour, um, and we know at those speeds it's a four percent savings, uh, regardless of what speed you're in. At those slower speeds, we actually don't know how the shoe performs yet. But then when we uh, extrapolate what that saving means to performance, that's where we see that 4% is less for Elliot Kachowigi in performance, and then it's greater for someone, uh, you know, down at that 12 kilometers per hour. But when we get to slower marathons, you know, under seven, or uh, slower than seven minute pace, we don't actually know it's a 4% uh, savings. I haven't seen those results. But is there any way to, I mean, you know, when I was talking to or people on the message board and responding to the article that I published yesterday, and I think it was in, in one of your papers, you know, you said if you take a 204 flat marathoner, which was L.A. Kipchoge's PR, yep. 
before the vapor flies existed, and you you give him this three percent efficiency gain, which we don't know he would be three percent. You're just kind of sort of estimating, and then give him two thirds of that, which would be one point nine seven percent. He would run two hundred one thirty something, which is what the marathon world record is. So, do you think that pretty much that entire two and a half minute gain from him is based on these shoes? Like some people have a real hard time believing that because others have run faster in the marathon. I don't think we'll ever know that for sure. Um, one, we know he trained like crazy for that. Two, when we look at those extrapolating models, we're not accounting for how that efficiency is going to change over the duration of the marathon. Uh, so that that 3% efficiency savings that we're, we're saying, we're saying it's going to always be 3%, it could be diminishing over the marathon. So you would get actually even less performance gain from a shoe. Um, we don't know that. Our lab-based studies are based off five-minute trials because um, you can't have someone come in and run, you know, six marathons in a row. Yeah. I think the other thing to point out from, you know, we noted Elliot Kipchoge's PR before the shoes was 204 flat. He ran that PR in a pair of, I think, streaks or whatever it was with that had the insoles flapping out of them. Like, that was clearly performance decreasing. So, yeah. you know, he, to call him a 204 flat marathoner, yeah. But, I, I mean, he could have run 203, 202 maybe if he had just had a proper pair of insoles. You said that the efficiency gain might go down over the course of the marathon. Is there any way that it could it could actually increase during the marathon? I'm not a, I've I don't think so. People could say yes, but I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that's that's an area I think there's just a lot of questions still. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm curious, Shalea, when you read the regulations, is there anything else you wanted to see? Like are you happy with what they've done? Do you think they missed something? Is there something that they should have tightened up even further? You know, no, because I it kind of the the fun scientist in me doesn't really want to you know limit innovation too much. You know, I think I think that's great. You know, that someone wants to go out once you know with a waffle iron and start creating their own shoes. So I don't want to put too many limits on that things. W- what I do want to see is that the athletes aren't you know you know getting the butt end of that. That it's fair for all of them. So no, I'm happy with the limitations that came out. I wouldn't have added anything. Um, yeah. And do you like that the marathon has sort of been recalibrated now? Because like people, the performances now, we can't just compare them to what was run like 20 years ago because the technology is different. And I guess we can do that in all different events. You know, if you look at the track technology or spike technology, you know, things move forward. Are, are you okay with the current place we're in in the marathon in 2020? Yeah, I think it's exciting. <laughs> I like to see the sports move. So back in 2016, when you sort of knew these shoes were super shoes and you called them magic shoes, was there any thought of these are these are against the rules of, of being a whistleblower? I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, I don't know. I guess you told Kara Gouser privately. Was that before or after? The no, problem? I mean, she knew the shoe existed. She has some family, you know, at Nike and all that. Um, I don't think people realized, you know, how much it was going to start to change performance and how many people we're going to see start to drop times and all that stuff yet. Um, yeah. And then we haven't really talked about the spikes because people don't really haven't been getting as much attention. There aren't as many runners, there aren't tens of thousands of runners running in Nike prototype super spikes. But I did have a coach call me who's coached Olympians in the past, and he's was focused on the spikes. Do we know? Do you do you have? Are you familiar with the spikes and, and the spike ruling? It's, this coach was sort of up in arms about the fact that a number of Nike athletes set 
Olympic qualifying times last summer in Nike prototype spikes. And he thought that might be unfair since those shoes are no longer allowed. Do you know anything about the spikes and maybe the impact that they've been having? Have they been using this technology in spikes? I know they have tried it a little bit. I think they use that PBAX foam in some spikes. Um, I think they're putting those in 10K runners. But um, the economy benefits wouldn't be as... Uh, as substantial for someone that's doing a shorter distance race compared to the marathon. So I think that's why the marathon is kind of, you know, that, that event we're really targeting and looking at right now. Robert, that's interesting that you mentioned like getting an Olympic qualifying mark in those shoes that that's so uh, I didn't consider that angle. I think one of the things I read from that spike rule though, is they weren't allowing sort of a, a carbon fiber plate apart from whatever the spikes are actually attached to. And I don't know when I was in Doha for the world championships going through the mix zone, the athletes, several Nike athletes were wearing prototype spikes, and I don't know exactly what was in them, but what it looked to me was there was sort of a plate, and then there was a gap, and then there was the the bottom plate where the spikes were attached to, and I feel like those spikes are sort of what they were targeting with this regulation, and how much they helped, I don't know, but I do think that you know those ones wouldn't be legal. That would be my guess. I don't know exactly what's in them, because Nike hasn't released them publicly, but I think it's going to be interesting moving forward. They might have to move backwards to what they were previously racing in this is all crazy and that, i'm thinking about it now i mean shalane flanagan won new york right and these shoes i guess they were publicly out in the market back then i'm just I, I was much less bothered by it once they were publicly out there like that's kind of on you if your shoe company doesn't want to let you wear it hey but 2016 is, is still bothering me well shalayla we've seen you at one olympics in 2012 you, you missed it in 2016 yeah, you were yeah, telling don't, me don't finish fourth <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's the, that's the memo um but you were telling me b before that uh you are actually i i texted you to see if you could come on to the emergency podcast at the last minute and you said yes i just finished up a track workout and i said does this mean we can expect to see you at the olympic trials so do you want to break that news to everybody uh, sure uh yeah i'm hoping to be healthy on the start line come uh june 19th i think's our final we're looking forward to watching you and you know, appreciate all your insight and uh, help on this story. And by the way, any, any shoe company exactly, I imagine there will be a lot listening to this podcast since it's a Shalala is currently unsponsored. So if you want to get a good sponsor, I am recommending her because everyone's going to be looking to see what is this shoe expert? What shoe is she wearing? So it'll be the ultimate endorsement if you do it, particularly on social media. So, well, good luck, and thanks for joining us on such short, short notice. And um, any anything that we didn't add, that, any, anything that you didn't say that you would like to say as a parting parting shot? I don't think so. Thanks so much for having me. Well, we appreciate it, and really, thanks a lot for for all for all the research. I, I, as, as much as I've been obsessed about this, I don't think I realized that you were the one behind all this until quite late in the process. So. <laughs> I got to work with some really good researchers. I'm very fortunate. Wow. Thanks so much for helping out. Great. Thanks. Very good. I think John and I are going to keep talking a little bit, but we didn't want to take too much time. But you were great. Thank you. Great. Thanks. Good luck. We'll be rooting for you, although we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to root. Wow. Normally, each week on the Let's Run podcast, I think I'm an expert and Jonathan has to correct me. But this week, we had a real, real expert putting me in my place. But folks, if you don't normally listen to the podcast... Normally every week, normally about on Wednesday, we release a podcast 
where three Let's Run.com staffers sort of just shoot the shit and talk running, that week's running news, but occasionally we'll do emergency podcasts. But if you want to join, join, reach us. Unlike Facebook and unlike Twitter, you can always call the show 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. I think if you hit extension 7, you can go straight to our, our, our podcast voicemail, or you can actually reach our cell phones if you need to reach us directly. And uh, we didn't do a sponsor plug at the beginning. We Since we'll have shoe execs on here, folks. Go to letsrun.com slash shoes. It's kind of like the Yelp for shoes. We have the best shoe reviews. We have the best prices. Now, if you work for a shoe company, we don't want you reviewing the shoes, doing an illegal review. Don't be doing that. We're going to report you. It's probably actually against the law. But anyways, John, great interview. You and I, though, now need to talk a little bit about this. Yeah, this this is our opportunity to get Rojo unhinged. And I have have a question for you, Robert. You talk about this every week on the podcast. I want to know... Yeah, and you had a good editor, a good article today, uh, came out yesterday, talking about how you think what happened at the 2016 Olympic marathon was unfair. The top three men's medalists all had access to technology that, under the rules, would give them an unfair advantage. You argued, and their results, you know, you called for them to either be stripped or at least given sort of a, some sort of asterisk. I want to know. You were asking World Athletics to look back at them when they came out with their release today and say something about them. They didn't address that race. Now that they haven't addressed it, are you going to give up this crusade, or are you going to continue bring, mentioning on every podcast moving forward? No, I'm not going to give up the crusade. I did email them, and they said, "Why don't you wait till the till before I publish my article?" I said, "Why don't, they, why don't you wait till Friday?" But John, this is the victory lap. Like, if only I had my sound here. Can you give me a clap, John? I'm not clapping unless I know why I'm giving you a victory lap. This why is, is it a victory lap? Well, to me, this is a tacit admission by them that, hey, what happened in 2016 is wrong. You just heard it from a scientific expert. Hey, that's wrong. So whether they actually issue an official report like Major League Baseball did with the Houston Astros or not, we basically have it now. I would like them to at least acknowledge like, hey, we don't want to have happened in 2016 happening in 2020. Um, I do think, you know, invalidating it might be, be a little bit too strong in the sense of, if you'd given Kipchoge a different pair of spikes, as I said earlier, I think he probably would have won that race. Well, but I'm not spikes. Sure. He's not going to win a marathon. I mean, spikes. Not spikes. Excuse me, flat. <laughs> but, but I'm not sure about about the other medalists. So, you know, there's just – it's a, a number of years. All of those marathons are going to be, you know, questioned, I think. Anyone who was wearing their shoes when other people didn't have access to them or didn't know how big they were, you know, it, it's important. But, again, victory lap to me because this – they wouldn't be ruling this. They wouldn't be so worried about 2020 – if they didn't really realize that the 2016 was jeopardized. Yeah, no, that, that's definitely a good point, Robert. They saw what happened in 2016. They didn't like it, that there was this unknown technology that some had access to and others didn't. They stepped in to create rules to make sure that doesn't happen again. So I think you know, you're right on that one. But then some of these other things, like, look, Elliot Kipchoge, he won a bunch of his marathons. Most of them were in... Okay, I think when he set the world record in Berlin, that might have actually been a prototype of the next percent. But if you look at most of these races, he is racing in something that is close to publicly available. It might have been slightly modified, but like when he won London this past year, 2019, and ran 202.37, the course record, that was in the next percent. I don't think that was some tricked out AlphaFly version, and maybe it could have been, but that was an AlphaFly that you could, sorry, that was a VaporFly 5% or next percent that you could buy that spring. And I don't think that was some unknown technology. And the same goes with anyone basically who won a marathon in the next percents in 2019, those shoes were publicly available. And I think that we talked about this a little bit earlier with Shalea, but the issue is 
the shoe contracts of other athletes lock them into competing in their brand. And if those companies can't catch up, you're still going to have this same problem that we've got, you know, in 2019, 2018, 2017. You're still going to have that same problem going forward because is it going to be reasonably available to all? Well, yeah, the technology is, the, the shoes are available to people, but the elite athletes can't necessarily race in them. And if what they're racing in is inferior, they're still going to be at a disadvantage. Correct. And I was talking to a, a, a person. I, I, I asked someone this week, I don't want to say who, what would you, would you, what would happen if one of your athletes wore the Vaporflies? This was a non Vaporfly company. And they said, we'd be disappointed. So we heard earlier, Shayla Kip says, I hope they would let them do that. And, and, and this shoe person said, we don't want to see that. So it'll be interesting to see what happens if, if these companies don't catch up. Um, you know, um, in the article that we have up on Ledger right now, Jeff Burns, the biomechanist, says, I would, w- I would buy the Vaporflies and change the top upper. We're not sure if that's totally allowed or not. I think it probably would be – you could probably figure out a way to do it to make it legal. So that will be interesting. To me, John, I want to talk about what is the public reaction to this going to be. I think, you know <sighs> – People are going to think that L.A. Kipchoge's sub two shoe was banned. That's going to put there was already an asterisk in running purist hearts, but I think now the general public will have a little asterisk in that sub two, like oh, he was wearing illegal shoes. I don't think so because people or like at the time, all the running people kind of knew, yeah, this isn't a real sub two. It's you know he ran the distance, but he ran it in these super shoes. But then people will say, why are these shoes illegal? I don't think it's going to change. Like. The general public is not going to be passing the World Athletics rulebook trying to figure out, wait, this guy, he actually ran it in shoes that weren't illegal at the time, but are now illegal. They're not going to care about that. It's like, and everyone in the running world already knew there were these, some, these Frankenstein shoes, and they probably, you know, some people are saying up to 8% gain in running economy. I don't think it really changes sub two. The people in the running world view it as, you know, somewhat an artificial accomplishment, albeit a very impressive feat of you know, human endurance. Whereas the people outside the running world just view it as like, Hey, he ran 26.2 miles in under two hours. And unless he's doing it with like rocket shoes or, you know, wheelies, they're not really going to care. They're just going to say, wait, he ran in these shoes. What's, what's illegal about them. They've got these carbon fiber plates in it. They're not really going to, that's not going to make a difference to Joe Schmo. Yeah, that's probably true. But I, I think it's a little bit cool. I think it'll be a little, there'll be still more acknowledgement when the real sub two is done, if ever in a real marathon, you know, moving forward. Um, you know, one thing that, that you were talking about at Kipchoge, yeah, everyone had access to these shoes. Theoretically, they could go buy them. But again, the sponsors may not let them. I mean, would he have beaten Gaia Idole in Berlin a few years ago? That was a really close race. There's been a number of times. I, I don't think that he would have been as dominant. I think he probably would have lost maybe one or two races. It wouldn't be as impeccable. And John, you're on record predicting that he will not that he will lose a race this year. So I, I wish we had asked Shalala, how much do you think the Alpha Flies are worth? Because if they're worth, well, I guess he's, but he was wearing next percent in London last year. So, you know, I, I was just trying to figure out like if there's any sign of slippage, which is kind of crazy. He just has been running amazing. No, he. I mean, the the reason I'm picking him is not because he's so shown any signs of slippage. It's just like every good thing comes to an end. Like to, the Patriots missed the AFC Championship game for the first time since 2010 this year. So you know, all the good things come to an end. And John, one thing that's interesting about this, you know, people are like well, Kipchoge. There's no way he's just a 204 flat marathoner without these shoes and stuff like that. I had a similar conversation yesterday with Jeff Burns. Um, 
the biomechanist in Michigan who, who's been really into this Nike stuff. And he's the one who actually wrote an editorial to, I think, the British Sports Medicine Journal or something like that, proposing that there be a stack height limit. And it's almost very similar to almost exactly what the IAAF accepted. He, I couldn't get over how much of an impact he thinks these shoes are having. I mean, when you talk to a scientist, they're like, it's huge. He was debating. And I don't believe this, but he was debating, hey, look, is Galen Rupp has only ever run a marathon ever. His entire life has always been in one of these shoes. You know, he started it in, in the prototypes. He's like, is he really a 206 marathoner or is he just as good as the guys were back in the day at 209? Is he just, you know, or, you know, if you take two minutes off, maybe he would be 208. And I'm like, look, he's definitely better than Jared Ward. He was significantly better than him in the track. So I was to found myself defending Jared, defending Galen Rupp. Uh, yeah, you, you have to use context clues. Like, all right, yes, Galen Rupp has raced in these vapor flies, but he ran 2644 on the track. He won an Olympic silver medal in an era when everyone's faster and it was dominated by the East Africans. I mean, to just say, oh, he'd be a 209 marathoner about, without the shoes. I think that's the same. Those are the same kind of people who were just calling him a 209 marathoner when all he would run was t- fast. It was a uh, championship style marathons on tough courses. You know, I just think it's irresponsible. You got to realize, you, you know, you got to use some analysis here and context clues. Good point. And let's go through Rupp's career marathons. First one, hot Olympic trials in Los Angeles, 211. Next one, 210 flat in Rio. You know, again, hot. Then he runs Boston. It was a tactical race. Second place, 209.58. Then he wins Chicago. I don't remember if it was hot in 2017, John, but it was certainly Just tactical. stupid tactical. Abodo told him to sit and kick. Until 209.20. So, yeah, he didn't run fast, but he wasn't trying to run fast in those races. Then he ran Prague in 206.07, and then Chicago 206.21. So, but it, it'll be, you know, moving forward, I guess the good news is, if you lose because of technology, it's only because the company that you sign with doesn't have the good technology and they won't let you wear the superior technology that another company has. Oh, I don't know. I don't like having that as an excuse, but it kind of might. Be. I mean, I don't know. It's going to be interesting how the Olympic trials play out. One thing, one other thing I think is fascinating with this is for so many years, the best technology in marathons was always on the feet of the very, very best runners. And now, Say Nike wants to release, you know, its next iteration. Let's call it the next next percent. And they release that in, say, maybe October 1st. Well, in the New York City Marathon, regular Joe Sixpack is going to be able to buy those shoes and race in them on November 1st on the New York City Marathon. Jeffrey Camworo, the defending champion, he would not legally be allowed to race in those shoes if they were released on October 1st. He wouldn't be legally allowed to race in them until february 1st and so it's kind of crazy that the actual the masses could have better technology or be allowed to use better shoes better the the most recent shoes uh compared to the elites it's just a strange dynamic doesn't mean they're going to start beating them but i'm waiting for a controversy where someone from the mass field gets prize money and then or be you know finishes like tenth or something, and then they're like, oh, they were wearing this shoe that's not actually available, and then they is there a debate what constitutes an elite athlete? I think that still needs to be hashed out a little bit. Yes, that's a huge thing moving forward. I mean, think about all the masters races, age group races. Like, well, the local ten k can you can 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 I as a forty six year old man, 
you know, buy the latest Nike shoe and show off if I win my age group or am I cheating? You know, that, that, that's the thing that the, the, while we on this podcast, and I must acknowledge this, we said a long time ago, hey, just set a deadline like January 1st. She's got to be out to use in the Olympics. So they went with that. But the more we thought about that, they're like, well, the problem with that is you're, you're kind of screwing the other companies that haven't caught up yet. But. You know, I don't think the real issue is prototypes to me. The real issue that we were trying to stop is that one shoe being vastly superior to another shoe. But, you know, it's, it's, it's all complicated because, you know, you set one thing and then it has different ramifications down the road. But it's been a fascinating day and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of reaction to see what, you know, coming forward. But I think while people are criticizing small aspects of this, I think, you know, the good news is, show I said, in, in one or two years, we're not going to be worrying about this. Yeah, let, let's hope. I think, what look, I got to give credit to World Athletics. They did step in here and come up with some regulations. And I think, in general, they're pretty fair regulations. The kind of unfortunate thing is, like, this is something that probably should have done been done a couple of years ago. But the issue was, if you're saying, well, we should have instituted this in 2017, you know, when the Vaporflies were first released. Well, we didn't we didn't really know the how dominant the Vaporflies would be. Elliot, the world record back in 2017 was still 202.57, and you didn't have people just knocking out 203s like they were nothing, or women running under you know 219 all the time. We didn't really know the how widespread it would be, so they would have had to act like almost immediately. It takes time to sort of study this thing. So I will give World Athletics a little credit there. Uh, I know it took them longer than some people would have liked, but... If they come out this thing, you know, years ago, that's just a hard thing to forecast, you know. Yeah, but it's still it's still going to be a big story all all year long. I mean, someone like Sarah Hall, she ran two twenty two, not in a carbon fiber plated plate, but she doesn't seem like she's a fan of it. But hey, does that mean she would run two twenty if she actually ran in those type of shoes? Who knows? Yeah, well, I'm just looking forward to hopefully next year being able to ask people about things other than vapor flies at the these pre race press conferences. Uh, Robert, anything? Any other parting thoughts on the subject, or should we move on to the next your next subject of Aya, the Kenyan Olympic marathon team? Well, I don't want to be much longer because I want to cut this podcast short. But yes, let's go to the Kenyan marathon team, John. They did what I told them not to do months ago. They released the team today. They announced the 2020 Olympic marathon team. You can provide the names, John. So yeah, they, they came out, and this is Friday. Again, this is January 31st. Spring marathon season has not even begun. The Olympics are still six months away. And Kenya has named its team. On the men's side, Eli Kipchoge, Amos Kiprudo, and Lawrence Chirono are the three. And then reserves, Titus Akiru and Ben Kuroki. On the women's side, Bridget Kosgai, Ruth Chepengedich, Vivian Chariot is the team. Valerie Ayebe and Sally Chip Yego, not to be confused with Sally Kip Yego, who's now running for the U.S. Those are the reserves. So, I mean, I think there are, there are two people on each gender that are pretty much locks. We knew that Kipchoge, the world record holder, missed a marathon, unbeatable. He was going to be on the team. Lawrence Chirono, who won Boston and Chicago, both of them in sprint finishes last year, but he won both. I think he was a fairly obvious pick. And then on the women's side, Bridget Kosgai coming off her world record in Chicago. That was clear. And then Ruth Chepengedich, she ran 217 in Dubai and then uh, won the world title in Doha. She was another obvious pick. The question is, the, the last spot, and 
Here's what really gets me, is look at the men's team. They named Amos Kipruto, who is the bronze medalist at the World Championships, as the last spot on the team. And then they put Titus Akiru and Bedin Kuroki as the next two, as the alternates. And Titus Akiru's actually had a very strong string of marathons. He's won his last four that he's finished. Mexico City and Honolulu in 2018. And then Milan and Honolulu. He ran 208 flat on Honolulu last December, which is a really, really good time for that course. It's a really tough, hilly course. And you would think it would help him for the Olympic marathon because usually it's pretty warm in Honolulu as well. And then Ben Kuroki's in there as well as an alternate. Here's the thing. Amos Kiprudo, Ben Kuroki, and Titus Akiru, they're all racing in Tokyo on March 1st. Like, what is the benefit to... They're already committed to a spring marathon. What's the benefit to naming the team now when they're racing each other one month from now? The benefit is just to show how stupid these athletic governing bodies are. There's no benefit. There's absolutely zero benefit to name an Olympic marathon team before the spring marathons unless you're going to forbid them from running the spring marathons, which they're not doing. So you want to have as much information as possible. As You're talking about the men here. They're all battling each other in, in, in Tokyo, and I didn't realize that. But how about London? Jocelyn Jepkoskai, who is the half-marathon world record holder, who, what did she do in her marathon debut last, her first marathon finish? Oh, she won New York. So what happens if she goes out to London and destroys Vivian Chariot? Um, but shout out to Vivian, though. First Kenyan to make five Olympic teams, which is impressive because she made it in 2000. <laughs> 2004, though. Yeah. She could be here. It could be her six, 2008, 12, 16, and 20. But it's just dumb, John. It's just dumb. We don't need to spend much time on it. It's just dumb. So we're going to give the IWF some props, but we got to criticize somebody. So Athletics Kenya, you're in the doghouse yet again. Well, and one, one final note on that Mary Katani. Not even named as an alternate. Now, w- wouldn't this be phenomenal? Mary Katani, she was second last year in, in New York. She didn't run as well in London. But wouldn't it be crazy if she comes back, wins London, you know, and stumps everyone? And then it's like, oh, yeah, uh, we're not sending her to the Olympics, though, because uh, we decided to name our team in January. I think that would just be sort of the nuclear nightmare scenario. And I, for one, would like to see it happen. Well, I hope it happens. And then I, I'm John. Yes or no? Would you think they'll change their team? I think they will. I think they would. But here's, here's the other thing. Mary Katani, she's not even entered in a spring marathon. She's injured. So I don't think she's like she was supposed to run Boston. She agreed to run Boston. And she was hurt. So I, we're not even going to see her. That's that's pretty fair to leave out someone who's injured. But if she comes back, I don't know, and runs like probably. Oh, but a George and Jeff Coast guy or Edna Kippegaard. Yeah, right, right. Anyways. But thanks for joining us on the emergency podcast. Jonathan, an interesting Friday. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the Super Bowl. You too, Robert.